Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast, brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. All right, what is up, everybody? Jim, to my right, as per usual. Jim, you're always on the right. We yeah, have I don't think spots. we have to say it anymore. Yeah, I guess the only reason we might provide some context, and really, you don't need context, because if I'm doing the intro then you're on my right, and if you're doing the intro, I'm on I'm on your left, so there's really no. But that is where you are. That is the facts of the matter. Here so, I am. Across from us, most importantly, this is the most important thing. We've got Willie Schmidt from, from Pure Hunting Television. Now, I don't want to put you in just the pure hunting box, Willie, because we all know you're an onion. We've got many layers to the Willie, and we're going to expose those. Like, we're we're going to expose an onion. him? And hopefully not make everybody cry as a result like you would with an onion. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Great. Across from us, we have Willie Schmidt, and we are going to chat with him about a variety of things, including his television show, which is super cool. So, yes. Great, great outdoor hunting TV show. And there's a, there's a lot of layers to that onion, too. It's a good show. So let's, let's get in. Willie, before I keep talking, rambling, disjointed, <laughs> somewhat fluid train of thought, why don't you... Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and, uh, you know, who you are and where you came from and all that good stuff. So, Perfect. As you said, my name is Willie Schmidt. Um, now coming to you from Bozeman, Montana for the last about year and a half. Native Colorado and lived there until August of 2018 when my wife and I decided it was time to uh, uproot and uh, move, to, move to Bozeman. Everybody always asked what the what was the impetus? I don't know that there really was one. Our, our daughter started going to Montana State. We started visiting. Even prior to that, we've been here a couple of times, but it was about then when we started visiting a little more for school where we're like, you know, we, we really like the feel of the town. It felt like uh, Colorado did 30, 40 years ago. And uh, we were kind of built it around our son graduating high school and uh, becoming empty nesters. So it worked out and, and here we are. Just really phase two in life and taking taking the next leap of faith and developing whatever the future holds. So no, that's cool, man. That's that's super cool. I feel like there's there's like a and I, probably the impetus is is just the the natural uh, human migration because pretty much everybody I know is moving to Bozeman. <laughs> yes, it's it's almost like it's just it's just the natural way of things now. And I will point this out. Well, you're pretty young for a phase tour man you guys got you guys got an early start at this family gig we weren't teenagers thank god but uh but no we were a little earlier than a lot of our friends and and i guess there's always two ways to look at everything and all you can do is what you think's right at the time but we i don't know we got married at 24 had our first at 27 and you know to be 50 years old and be an empty nester in relatively good shape to do everything we want to do it's we're enjoying life i'll tell you that it's fun no, man, you guys are in a good spot. I feel like, yeah, I think I think you might have hit a sweet spot there, man. And like you said, I mean, well, and maybe you, honestly, I, I wouldn't have guessed you. You look good. You look good. So, uh, but yeah, my, my wife and I, like, we're probably a little bit later in the game. So I think as far as, like, becoming parents. Are you? Later than 27. Well, okay. By several years. <laughs> I'm no math magician, Jim. I've said it before. I'll say it again. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> I should be able to count to six. But the pressure with the headsets and the talking and oh, the I know. recording. They make it scary. Uh, <laughs> but uh, different advantages. So we got to live kind of a lot of life kind of before that yeah. adventure. But then a lot of our friends had kids earlier. So now they're kind of out of the woods in the thick of some stuff. And we're into the woods. And right. so I don't know. I don't think there is a perfect answer, maybe. Maybe that's the answer. Nope. No perfect answer. You got well, to enjoy some more hunting probably on the front end. Oh, yeah. 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 I yeah. think, I mean, it definitely has an impact, but then on the back end. Right. Now you're having to deal with taking the girls out on some nature walks. Nature Where walks. they unfortunately learn that shotguns are loud. They do. However, we were, uh, God, we're sidetracking. Have you gotten them earphone or uh, head, <laughs> what am I trying to say? Earmuffs yet? Earmuffs yet? No, no. But we were on a walk <laughs> yesterday. This is completely. We were on a walk yesterday. We go to a pond. We found a bunch of frogs. The kids were super jacked about finding frogs. In fact, they wanted to go. We had to go back 
to the pond right. uh, to go. Actually, it was a bike ride. And, uh, but there were two geese, and she exclaimed, Dad, I wish we had your gun so we could shoot the geese. And I was, <laughs> I was so proud. That is a very proud moment. So, anyway, enough about me. Did she Talk say that at me. school, too? I would love to hear the reactions of the oh, other, yeah. of the teachers. And Oh, wow, look <laughs> at those geese. If only my dad had his gun here, he'd shoot them. Well, I think I told the story. That's pretty much the only activity we've done together is kind of trying to pass, shoot some geese. There's a field by the house where, you know, you can go on a, what I call them, nature walks and bring the shotgun. But when I think I told the story when we were at the at the park. I think this was like two summers ago or last summer, whatever it was, and all these geese flew overhead. And uh, parents, it's, the park is full of parents and kids. And my girls are yelling, shoot them. Shoot him, Dad! <laughs> Shoot him! <laughs> and that's when Chris, Crystal turns to me. She, she's mortified, completely embarrassed, and she's like, "You're so proud right now." I'm like, "Oh, maybe a little bit, yeah." Anyway, let's talk about you, Willie. I don't know why. So you're you're in Bozeman. You're in the yep. great state of Montana. One of the I shouldn't probably everybody everybody probably in Montana hates it when people talk about Montana, but it's a cool state. It is a cool state. Yeah, everybody, it's, it reminds me, and again, for that reason, Colorado, probably 30 years ago, everybody wanted in and then yep. wanted the doors shut behind them so that nobody else could come in. And mm, it's yeah. not a little hidden secret anymore. And it's a lot, and a lot of the outdoor community, I mean, it's just a little hotbed right now, of everything that's going on. So It is. Yep. Should we do like a Greenland, Iceland thing from the Vikings of old age oh, where we call sure. Montana some really awful name? Yeah. And then we call some other awful place Montana? Yeah, like. I think it might be a little late. I think the secret might be out, but yeah. it's probably a good That's strategy fair. off to go. That's fair. I interrupted, though. Sorry about that, Willie. No, so we're loving it. It's just a weird time right now, but I tell you, it feels good to be in a spot that a state that doesn't have all the the issues that the rest of you know the highly populated areas are experiencing with this whole COVID thing, and and uh, it still feels different, but it's it's not shut down as much as some of the real big cities have been. So yeah. we're, we're enjoying where we are. That's good. Yeah. Good deal. With all this stuff that's happening, what's it been looking like for you having a show like you have and having, I mean, granted, we're in springtime here, so the bulk of the big game hunts and stuff aren't happening yet, but obviously a lot of the tags and stuff like that are out on the table and you're probably trying to plan things for that time of year. What's that What's that been like? I'm curious to hear. We had to cancel our annual hog hunt down in Texas as a result of this, we were going to cancel it anyway. And then my dad fell ill and I had to travel as a result of that, but we, we were going to cancel that. Nonetheless, our annual wall tent Turkey camp, which I do with a couple of folks that you guys know pretty well, Jason Matzinger, Jana Waller, and a few others. We've just, even though we're traveling from Montana, we just felt it was the right thing to do to, to not go in a big group at this point. It's not going to prevent us maybe from venturing out on our own but I think there's just still a tremendous amount of uncertainty, Jimmy, like you said, on on these fall tags. So far, nobody's, none of the states that I'm aware of have said, you know, we're not opening applications up to non-residents or anything like that. But until this thing really opens up, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of uncertainty. And some people aren't putting in for tags, especially if it's costing them a bunch of money as a non-resident, just because they don't know, they're worried about their finances, number one. And number two, I don't know if they know that they'll be able to travel at that point in time. So it's just probably easier to not apply just right this year off and, uh, and do it again next year and hunt a little more close to home. Yeah. Yeah. I think you nailed it. I think, uh, man, just the, just the level of, of, you know, uncertainty with things unfolding day by day, minute by minute at times, you know, uh, it's it's difficult to plan number one. And just like you said, you don't know where things are going to be. And I think there's some, some silver linings to it though. I think, you know, it's like, I, oh, you know, I do this every year, but, and, and so you don't get to do it, which is a bummer, you know, and then, you know, you're talking about that, uh, wall tent turkey hunt, which is like, I mean, number one, there's nothing in my opinion that is uh, much more fun than turkey hunting from just purely going out to have fun. Then you've got the camaraderie of sharing a camp and, uh, you know, half the reason why you're on that hunt is because you want to share that camp with those folks. So that's definitely, uh, you know, a bummer there. But, you know, hopefully there'll be some silver linings where people maybe explore some new opportunities. Or like you say, you know, you stay close to home and realize that that grass is pretty pretty green where you're at as well. And, of course, in, in, a, in a state like Montana, I mean, you know, phenomenal deer, elk, bear, 
lion, turkey. You, you guys got it all. You guys are pretty blessed when it comes to hunting opportunities. So, uh, yeah. So that's a good thing, particularly if you're making right. hunting television. Certainly yeah, is. you can do a lot more right in your backyard. Yeah, that is a, that is a nice advantage to have. So for those for those who aren't quite as familiar with you yet, what uh, do you have like what you would call your thing as far as what you chase after, what you hunt for when you're out there, what exact you know what you're doing? So you know, is is the fall a big time for you for elk or mule deer, or is the spring a big time for you for turkey or? Funny you ask that. And actually last year's episode, season eight, I kind of thought about that a whole bunch because the one thing that I, I don't fit into any one niche. And I think like a lot of hunters who grew up hunting in general, I mean, I owe a lot to my dad just introducing me to it with uh, love of the outdoors and conservation ethic, but I hunt waterfowl, I hunt upland, I hunt, you know, big game, both with rifle and archery. So some public, some private. I don't do a lot with outfitters and guided, but great example is my dad lived in Kansas and he had a really good friend who had a pheasant property and some leases for pheasants. He wasn't a whitetail hunter. Well, there's whitetail there. So he asked us, said, you're more than welcome to hunt. It wasn't a managed property. I don't even know. He told us what quality of deer are there, but you're more than welcome to go. So it's, it's always been tough for me to, to categorize myself into anything or the show because it's a little bit of everything. And so there's no niche, but I think it also appeals to a lot of people because it is pretty broad. Oh, um, yeah. Just taking advantage of the opportunities that are there and just loving the outdoors. It also extends the season. You know, when a lot of people are wrapping up their whitetail season, let's just say it's end of November. For me, that's right when the waterfowl hunting is getting really good for where I hunt. You know, the ponds are all freezing up and the migration's coming down into Nebraska and Colorado. That was obviously in years past and fill up December and January and then kind of roll into turkey and and now in montana bear season yeah so yeah a little bit of everything but so anyway on on season eight last year we kind of did our first episode was sort of uh which was weird to do you think you do it and you're just coming out your first season of a show of kind of the who are you why do we care a little background on me and my family and kind of what pure hunting was about because it's it's not like some guys have their you know 100 archery show and that's all it is or 100 public land or long range shooting or whatever. It's a, you know, it's kind of a generalist, generalist show. Yeah. I think that's super cool though, because like you said, it's easy to kind of, well, become passionate about something and and you love that thing. You're like, man, I love doing it. And you get hyper-focused, but there's, there's also so many different opportunities out there. Like you're talking about, you know, you know, we're talking about all sorts of big game and, and small game and waterfowl. And, you know, you talk about, extending your season and, and just becoming, you know, a more, um, not even just like a better, I guess as a result, you'd become a better woodsman. I'm not sure that's necessarily like the goal per se, but just like your connection and knowledge and awareness of, you know, the different know animals that, that are yeah. out there. Like you're just like, it's like you're, it's almost being, uh, well-read except yeah. in hunting. Well, the, the woods. And even when I say the woods, I think we just refer to sort of being out in the wild because it's not always woods. But, you know, they they aren't the same way every day of the year. You know, you go out in fall and they're changing in a certain way and all the critters are out there changing in their own certain ways and new things are happening compared to the spring or the winter. And it really is to be out there pretty much throughout the year. You get to see every piece of that puzzle, which is pretty sweet. Yep, for sure, for sure. As in, yeah, as like... A, I think of it almost as some people are specialists, perhaps, but some people are just enthusiasts. You know, it's just sort of like if you're just in it for that. I mean, you get to see you get to see a ton of stuff, which is pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah, I I, I think you said it pretty well. Uh, the old you know, jack of all trades, master of none, maybe, but you get to enjoy all of it, and and uh, not a specialist, but a generalist. And my biggest passion is chasing archery elk. I mean, and so Montana, it's a great six week season, but God, I would hate if that was the end of my season. You know, if October 15th rolled around and I didn't chase deer or waterfowl to think, well, boy, September's a long way off. <laughs> it, uh, you know, you all of a sudden you roll into maybe the whitetail rut or pre-rut or something like that. So there's always something going on and, and I enjoy all of it. If, if, if somebody could say you can only hunt one thing, it would be archery elk, um, hands down. But I, I love every bit, every method and just being outside, sharing it with people and friends and camaraderie and 
and family. So no, for sure, man, for sure. Yeah, it is pretty crazy. I mean, I know like when I grew up, like we hunted deer and elk and we'd do some grouse hunting. Like when I, when I first began hunting, that's what my dad did, grandpa did, but you know, deer season was essentially three weeks long. Plus you got one kind of late season weekend. We'd only hunt weekends. Elk season was, um, you know, you essentially got, I think it was a nine day season. So you got two weekends. And then after that, like it was, it was over the way the seasons were structured and you had to, you had to pick your weapon. And then, you know, all, all of a sudden you kind of start learning about other hunts. It's like, Oh, you can hunt bears in August. That's pretty cool. Oh, coyotes are year round, you know, Oh, waterfowl. I can, you know, shoot waterfowl. And I mean, you can literally hunt pretty much year round nearly. You know, and then if you go international, then, you know, probably for sure you're right. Oh, yeah. So, let me ask this, Willie. What, you weren't always an outdoor television host. No. What's your, what's your pre, what's the story of your career path before that? And I guess what was the, the catalyst for saying, I'm going to make outdoor television? Yeah. The, the first part's easier than the second part. Uh, I was a banker. I was a commercial banker in Colorado. I worked for a small community bank, one location, and did that for close to 14 years. And then 2006, there was a couple of years prior, but in 2006, we were acquired by a larger regional bank. It was more of a growth strategy than an exit strategy. But after about a year, uh, realized that's not what I wanted to do. I wasn't sure what it was. But being a uh, smaller fish in a bigger pond, and it really wasn't about you know, an ego of what I couldn't do anymore. It was not being able to take care of my customers the way I had for 14 years. You, you were an influencer at best. You weren't a decision maker with your team. And that affected me a lot more because we had some of these customers for 50, 60 years, you know, and third generation. And when all of a sudden you can't look across the table, shake somebody's hand and say, we'll, we'll make this work. Details might change a little bit. So in 2007, uh, decided to leave. Again, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I did get in the car wash business, which is what was the ability to pay bills and the mortgage and everything. It certainly isn't outdoor TV. You probably talk to many people and there's not many who do it full time and make ends meet, truly make ends meet. Right. But anyway, one of my customers at the bank was, Ori- was Orion Multimedia, which uh, was at the time probably the largest outdoor television production company Right. In the country. I mean, at one time they had 15 to 20 shows and they were based in Littleton, Colorado and they were a customer of mine. And so when I, of course, let all my customers know I was leaving the bank, they offered me the opportunity to, to do a guest host fill in. All I knew is that I liked watching outdoor television. I couldn't tell them no till I tried it. So they sent me on a, on a hunt. The first hunt was actually an elk hunt in Oregon. And I thought it was, was kind of fun. It was interesting to see the behind the scenes how it really worked. So I did that for about two or three years. I became a co-host of Whitetail Revolution, which was a Winchester show they produced and guest hosted a couple of other things. And then three guys left to start TrueSight Media back in 2010, approached me and said, we know you've had an interest of doing more of this. Have you ever thought of having your own show? And that was, I guess you always sort of had a dream that, well, it might be kind of cool to do something and have more of your control. And so we talked about at the time what they didn't feel was really being done. A lot of high quality cinematic type shows, especially on the Western side of things, um, telling the whole story, not just showing up at a lodge or where the hunt in people's mind truly started of just showing up and ending when you pulled the trigger, trying to tell much more of the whole story. And I thought at the time, you know, if we hit two, three years, we'd have been doing pretty well. And here we are going, you know, starting to film season 10 this year. So just sort of fell into it, uh, like a lot of things, networking, knowing the right people, and just taking advantage of an opportunity that was presented, not knowing where it was going to go. That's uh, that's awesome. Mark and I were sitting here prior to coming on this podcast with you, and we were kind of uh, imagining the scenario in our heads, like, well, you know, I mean, okay, so banker, right? So, you know, he uh, likes probably numbers, so that translates to uh, elk hunting, because... Uh, <laughs> we got we got stuck there. We were trying to figure totally, out totally natural segue. Right, right. I mean, I've seen right. you know I've seen Absolutely. the uh, the accountant gone long range shooter because they like having tables and numbers and everything add up right. But then we were trying to figure out the banker to hunting TV show host, and 
and now we know. And now it makes perfect sense. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, I mean, that's super cool, man. And, and also you mentioned 10 years, right? And, and the, the level when you're kind of, I guess, you know, maybe familiar with the world, that's a big deal. You know, 10 years is a, is a big deal in the outdoor TV space. You know, yeah. um, I'd say making it to year two for a lot of shows is a really, mm-hmm. really big deal. So, so 10 years, I mean, that, that's cool, man. And I think that's a testament to the content and, and, you know, the broad appeal that we're talking about and the rate, the relatability and, and, you know, I mean, I've watched the show, you know, countless times and, and, uh, definitely, um, a strong, like you said, you, you tell a good story. And, and that, that's important. So, mm-hmm. and you tell, and the whole story. You got into the fact that when you guest hosted on, you know, your first hunt there, that Oregon elk hunt, you kind of see the behind the scenes and how it all really works. Lots of people watch outdoor television and uh, never get to see that. So I'm sure that was a bit of an eye opening experience. But what is it, what is it actually like when you're behind the scenes and you see how it's all being made, how it's done, you know, compared to, I guess, just when you're out there. Hunting. On your own, hunting. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, uh, well, I think there's a, you know, I mean, there's probably a million perceptions out there, but it, you know, there's really not this huge film crew that's going on. It's really just one videographer, sometimes two, if there's, you know, a waterfowl hunt where you're trying to get different uh, camera angles and that type of thing. So it's really just one guy. But the one thing I've really learned is it really is a team, you and the videographer. So you certainly, I've learned you want to have a guy that, knows how to run his equipment and capture the footage, but you also want somebody who understands hunting and, and to me that's a little bit more important because you get somebody who really wants that cinematic shot and could totally screw up your whole hunt. Cause as you know, even if you're just hunting, just you, your opportunities sometimes are fairly limited and you got a second guy out there. You have twice the noise, twice the scent, twice the movement, everything. And uh, somebody has got to really know, what they're doing so that it doesn't blow maybe that only opportunity that you're going to have. But also that number one, it's not live TV. I've felt like initially, you know, if, if you were doing an interview or talking to the camera, you had to be spot on and couldn't screw up. And man, you could say something 14 times and you're going to take the best cut that's there. So that's a little <laughs> bit. What, what Orion said was it was like making sausage. You can take a whole bunch of horrible stuff, put it together, and make it look pretty decent, like a nice <laughs> package of sausage. That's how we um, actually make these podcasts. We're going to finish recording this one up here, you know, in, in the next whenever, and then we'll actually record 14 more podcasts with you. So hopefully okay. you got, hopefully you got your hopefully whole... Hopefully we can get one good one in there. Yeah, your whole afternoon and evening blocked off. Yeah, you did clear your schedule, right? <laughs> I did, of course. Because <laughs> we just consider this one more of a warm-up than anything yeah, yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But the one thing that that did do, uh, back to the Orion thing, was you know I was just kind of a, a hired gun. I would go on these hunts. I didn't have any involvement on hiring the videographer, anything on the storyline. I didn't deal with any sponsors or partners. I didn't any, understand really any of that. So when we started pure hunting, like a lot of things, you know, we put together kind of a trailer of what we expected the series to be like and and the concept. And it was a huge eye opener for me. And I think Mark, to your point of why some shows, A, don't make it to year one, but if they do year one or two, sometimes they don't last much longer than that because we had a really good trailer. Yes, I'm a little biased, but I mean, it really was cinematic and it was put together well. I'd say the general theme was this looks really good. Of course, I also was naive to think I was one of the only shows at SHOT Show pitching my pitching my trailer <laughs> when there were probably... 2000 people doing the exact same thing, but it was, you know, this looks really good, but can you tell a whole story for one episode? And then can you put 13 of these things together and keep it going? And then will you be able to do it in year two and year three? You know, you guys probably are approached by, I don't know how many people pitching the, whether now it's a digital show or a, or a TV show. And you don't just want to throw money to somebody that might put together a really good, you know, three or four minute trailer, because how many movies have we all gone and seen that you're like, I've got to see that movie. That thing looks really badass. <laughs> and they took the best three minutes of a two hour movie and that's all there was to it. So you want to see some longevity and build a, a relationship with somebody and see if their consistency is going to be there. If it's a good fit representing Vortex in a positive, positive way. So that was a huge, like I said, slap in the face and eye opener for me to just not that I thought sponsors would fall all over the place, but you do have this thought that you put something good together. You're going to go sign a bunch of contracts. Maybe it's a little smaller than you'd like, but you get something and you could grow into it. And it's humbling. You get told no an awful lot. 
but like anything, I think you, you stick to it. And I got told no a lot from a couple people. Then in year finally, year three, they came on board and it's pretty, makes me very proud to, to, to look back on early seasons of the show and see the same sponsors and partners that I have even to this day and not compromising on stuff that I don't want to use. I would use everybody's products that I'm currently partnered with, whether I was, whether it was a sponsorship or a partnership or not, because I really believe in them. And yeah, it's come a long way, but it, that was a huge eye opener because I didn't do that with Orion. It was just hired guns. So even after three years, I was like, holy crap, is this different than I thought? thought it <laughs> man, those guys were doing a lot of work. It, it is work. It is work. Oh yeah. man, it, it, it is. It's a ton of work, you know, and I've, even with my minimal exposure to it and, and you're right, you know, I mean, we're oftentimes, I guess, on the other side of the table over here. And like you said, a sizzle reel is just that. I mean, it, it is a sizzle reel. I mean, it, it's the best of the best cut down into a high impact, short little segment. And, and they're oftentimes absolutely amazing. But if, uh, if a person doesn't have, you know, whatever, whatever the platform is, whether it's YouTube or, uh, you know, television, it's like, Oh, that's great. This is beautiful, but let's, uh, let's see some, entire episodes let's see that story put together you know and and see uh see how kind of the what it's gonna look like as it's you know put on onto each you know respective platform so yeah which is no easy task no that isn't at all it oftentimes requires you to just go out and make some of those episodes too those full episodes right because you can just as easily come up with a highlight reel before you actually come put a story together yeah yeah, you don't (laughs) even need the story right Everyone's real good at coming up with highlight reels. Everybody's got an Instagram page, right? And that's just a highlight reel. <laughs> no, that's, re- that's real life, Jim. <laughs> oh, right, right. My bad. <laughs> you, know, you know, then, Jim, you bring, you know, of course, you know, now it's like, you know, maybe 10 years ago, the social angle, Jim's talking about the Instagram and stuff like that. You can't just be a TV show anymore either. Like, you know, I mean, it's definitely probably, it might be a big piece of the puzzle, but you, you got to develop all these other platforms to surround and promote and leverage. And I bet that's been a learning experience as well. That has been, and you know, as Jimmy was saying that, I was thinking that exact same thing that that a lot has changed in ten years, and and you could argue probably the social side of things the last just three or four have really ballooned. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and so yeah, if people are like, well, this is kind of a slow time for you, isn't it? In the spring, and and when you roll out of let's just say the waterfowl season, then you've got trade shows, then you kind of follow up with your sponsor partners, and then you but you're constantly doing social media deliverables, digital. Right now, we're the the royal we are editing shows for you know this coming fall, and uh, you think, oh well, it doesn't air until July, so you've got a lot of time. Well, you got to make sure you putting the episodes together for deliverables, and you have to deliver to the network three weeks. So you're talking early June. I mean, we're not that far from early June right now, and no. uh, so there really isn't a downtime. And Mark, to your point, you throw the social media and other digital deliverables at a lot of you know, sponsors want, you kind of have to have that larger, broader platform. It's not just six months of a TV show. It's year round. And and where are you being seen? And where are you helping to, you know, promote both you and your partner, partner brands? It's a, it's a year round deal and it is a lot of work. Um, And I think that's why a lot of people are like, well, I don't just need to go and get a kill shot and shoot a decent deer or turkey on film. And, and that's it. It's, it's days worth for one episode. And and Mm -hmm. that's just, pre-production stuff so but i i enjoy it i i would go to trade shows for lack of a better term for the banking industry but you start talking interest rates and what the federal reserve is going to do and and wondering about what the economic situation is that that was part of what i did but it never got me fired up like sitting down talking about your recent elk hunt with a buddy or something like that and the people in the community of the outdoors is is i think top notch a little biased i think we'd all agree but just I've really enjoyed it. Some of the people I've met through it, I never would have had an opportunity had it not been for for the show and getting involved in the outdoor industry. There are shows for the banking industry. There are. <laughs> what I wonder. I wouldn't what, suggest. What, is a, what does a what does a booth look like? Is a booth just? Do they have things in the booth? Do they have sizzle reels? Yeah. <laughs> They don't have sizzle reels. No, it's Check more out this like spreadsheet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It's a lot of software providers for clear, you know, equipment and software and stuff like that. So it's uh, it's not quite like the outdoors, but there's 
there are trade associations and organizations okay. and, and seminars and stuff like that that you put on or the Federal Reserve would put something on for all their banking members. And, you know, you're obligated to go to those and get updates. And stuff. Yeah. So I would not go, nearly as much fun. I would go immediately to the bank vault booth, like the guys selling the vaults. And just see like how doors. you could like turn it into a gun safe or. Yeah, maybe. Or I'd go to the or I'd go to whatever booth has like the uh, you know, cheese wheel. No, I not thinking cheese will. Whatever booth has like the bodyguards at it, you know, like like giving demonstrations of them like beating up a burglar. Did they have that there, Willie? I missed that seminar. I didn't see that one. <laughs> oh. I might have gone to it if they'd have had it though. Yeah. <laughs> Get on the ground, punk. Yeah, that would be good. And then yeah, anyway. Anyway. Is there anything that you've drawn on uniquely from from that world that has translated over into you know the producing outdoor television? Yes, um, I guess number one, my sort of niche at the bank was business developments and relationships and human oh. resources were kind of under my umbrella. So mm. sales, building relationships, understanding people. Of course, the banking background just generally has helped me talk to my partners on more of a business sense, not just about a TV show, you know, and when you can talk to somebody and understand profit loss and balance sheets and return on investments and stuff like that, you're not just some country bumpkin who wanted to see himself on TV with a TV show. I treat it as a business as I think you need to, to have longevity. Yep. And the fact that I had a business background, a banking background, um, more specifically has, has paid dividends and just being able to, talk can be taken seriously, especially early on. Yeah, for sure. So with that, with that being said, and we were talking about social media earlier, I think a lot of businesses have gone the social media way of things and they've added, you know, their own pages, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. And they've utilized that then to a great degree to get the word out about, you know, whatever products, business services, anything like that. So I was wondering to myself, as we discussed the fact, you know, 10 years ago, social media wasn't probably nearly as big of a deal as it is today. And I was wondering to myself, as you get into this age where, like you said, within the last three to four years, social media has become such a big deal and everybody's on it and everybody's checking it all the time and saying, you know, every internet page you go by is telling you how you need to use social media, whatever. So I was thinking, is that kind of like a, ah, crap, you know, like, what a pain in the butt this new thing is that we all have to do basically. Or is it sort of like, wow, these are a bunch of things we were never really able to do before. So now what, what's that, what's that been like for you, I guess, in, in thinking of it in the business sense has, has the social media world and the, and the rise been a welcomed thing or kind of a, a begrudgingly I'll go along. <laughs> that, that is, Probably the most loaded question you've asked. <laughs> I was going to say, let, how do I answer this carefully? Uh, I'll say it right but now. I'll, I'll say it. It's I'll a say double-edged sword. It is. It's, it's a pain in the butt. Bingo. It's a necessary evil. It is. And there but are it's times super that, fun at the same time, though. Yeah, it, it is. Yep. It is. Like, yep. it's all the things. Yeah. It is. It is. And But there's a part of me, too, that's like, you know, we all make fun of these teenagers who are on their phones constantly. Well, if you're in the position that a lot of us are in and needing to manage these pages. I mean, you've got to stay active on it. You have to stay engaged or you become irrelevant fairly quickly and probably fall off of some news feeds. So I kind of feel like a teenager sometimes when all I want to do is just disconnect, you know, but I'm like, okay, what, as I'm sure you guys have seen, I'd be curious on your answer in this, but I presume, you know, Instagram stories are, are pretty impactful. I mean, they're a quick deal, but if you follow along, I get sort of engaged by them. And when I'm on a roll doing some things, it feels really good, Mark. You pointed. It is fun. It's exciting. And you get some engagement from some people reaching out, asking questions. And But there's times when you're like, I got nothing going on. I am sitting here, regardless if it's COVID quarantine or not, I'm, I'm doing paperwork. I'm sitting at my computer and I don't want to feel like I have to fabricate something or I'm not a big regurgitator oh, yeah, yeah. of Whoppity Wednesday and, and Throwback Thursday and everything and just bringing up old things. But that's kind of what you're forced to do. But there's times where I'll be like three or four days where I just disconnect because I'm done. Yeah. And then you realize, mm-hmm. well, I haven't seen much. I better get back engaged. So it's easier. And that's not the right word, but it's, it's more beneficial just to slow and steady and stay involved and active in it 
but sometimes it's hard. Yeah. It's difficult. Especially, especially in hunting. Hunting is kind of an interesting one too, you know, because you think about a, a pastime or a sport or an activity where so often the thing that most people say, if you ask them, what's, what is it that you love most about hunting? Well, I love getting out, disconnecting, getting in the middle of nowhere, not being around civilization or people or the hustle and bustle. And then it's like, Oh, okay. And then they're like, want to see a bunch of pictures and videos and Instagram posts I did about my hunt? And you're like, that doesn't quite add up. Right. <laughs> but then at the same right. time, when we've gone on hunts, you know, or I've gone on my own adventures outside, you're just sort of like, oh, I'm taking a picture of that. And the next thing you go, you're in the office, and you're like, look at this. So there's, because everybody wants to story tell. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's such a huge of the hunt from its infancy, right? I mean, like, not infancy, but like, you know, you look back to like, cave drawings right it's like oh those dudes was, were telling the story yeah, you know what that, i mean that's that was the caveman oh, instagram exactly exactly <laughs> you know and and it's it's uh sometimes it can be uh distracting i mean yeah. you know filming a hunt that is no easy task i mean it's hard to just kill something let alone have an extra person and you know have a a camera out there and you know like you said you want you want to document it but you also want to not uh, detract from the experience, and mm-hmm. and it's uh it's yeah that that's a complex one. But then at the end of the day, like you said, you look back on those pictures, you look back on those videos, and when you have them, you're always glad you have them. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, it's true. It's true. Man, the whole caveman thing brings a whole new perspective to like writing on someone's wall. Yes, post <laughs> post this on your wall. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if that's what they're saying. Here, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna post this on the wall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, and I'm sure I know. I, whenever we've whenever we've chatted with uh, folks like yourself, Willie, who have a you know TV show or whatever, it's there is always that question. I know I've asked it to a number of folks like that before. But do you ever get the chance to go on a hunt where you're not being Film. I was I was just gonna ask that. And and when you do it, does it feel weird? Do you like it? Are you relieved? Or are you sort of like, you know, do you ever find yourself narrating the hunt and you're like, oh wait, there's no one here? <laughs> <laughs> I do occasionally, and I very much enjoy it when that happens. Just not having to worry about say that again, I missed it, or let's recreate it, or <laughs> making sure you're gathering it. But it, but the same token, after so many years, it does feel a little bit weird, and you feel like you might be missing out on an opportunity. And mm. you know, Murphy's Law is going to come into play where something really unique or special is going to happen, and you're you don't have a videographer there to capture it. So far, that hasn't happened, but it's a breath of fresh air to be able to do that on occasion. Mm. Um, a couple of those wall tent turkey camps. I mean, at some point, you're like, okay, same story over and over, and. I haven't taken a videographer there and it's fun to just sit around and enjoy it and not have to keep, try to feel like you're capturing everything or worrying about getting enough encounters to tell a whole episode, uh, you know, to make a whole episode, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I'd have to imagine, you know, certain pressure, you know, is alleviated there, you know, and, and like you said, we go out, Oh, well, I'm going to hunt to, to decompress. And then, you know, you start trying to wrap content into it and, it just it's it's it adds extra layers of 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 pressure and yeah oh man but it does like, like I said at the end of the day you're always glad you're always yeah. glad you have it even if it complicates things at the time yeah what's it so speaking of the added sort of distress and things you're trying to think about when you're out there on a hunt and you're filming it so you say a lot of times the camera people or camera person that you bring out with you generally knows about the hunt itself or knows about hunting where to be when to be there are you are you always working with the same camera person and is that person just apparently like rarest breed of i love hunting so much that i actually don't like to go hunting i just like to be on someone else's hunt or do they how do you how do you get somebody who knows a lot about hunting but is fine being behind the camera most of the time (laughs) do you have like they have a bunch of different cameramen so you don't wear one out or I don't know. I guess I probably have a half a dozen. They're all freelance. You know, I don't hire anybody for the whole season. Okay. Got I it. would sort of love to do that. Um, and I've toyed around with one or two guys, but they kind of like the fact that they are freelance and know that maybe they'll work 20 days out of the, out of the month because the first two or three that come to mind that are my kind of go-to guys love to hunt as much for their own rather than doing it with a, with a camera, you know, for, for me or somebody else. And so they like their time in the woods as well. They all, you know, like we all do need to pay our bills and stuff. And they've just decided that uh, they love 
filming and uh, that's what puts food on their table and feeds their families, but they also get to be a part of the hunt. And a lot of them say, a couple of them throughout the years have been like, I haven't hunted for myself in two years. So obviously it's contradictory to what I said on those couple of guys, but in the past, but they're like, you know, I feel like I'm every part of the hunt and I may not be pulling the trigger, but I'm capturing it. And that is just as impactful to them as if they almost as if they had done it themselves. So, you know, early on, I didn't, I don't know. I, I, I've never counted it, but let's just say I've worked with a dozen videographers. Maybe it's closer to 15 in the nine years, but a couple of them were just one-offs that maybe true side hired because being freelance, you know, a hunt might come up and your kind of go-to guys are already booked on something else. So you got to find somebody and you'll occasionally find somebody who becomes a regular that's happened over the last couple of years, but others you're like, you know, that was a one-time shot and the fit wasn't there just like a hunting buddy, you've got to be able to get along and communicate and just enjoy each other's company where you're like, yep, that was it. And appreciate your time. But sort of the don't call us, we'll call you. <laughs> I'm going to get this shot from the Elks perspective. No, no, you can't, you can't do that. Cause now he's, now he's gone. He's, he, ran, he ran away. Uh, yeah. Can, can someone tell that elk to, to like move a little bit out in the open? How often do your uh, how often do your camera guys wind up playing a critical role in just sort of like part of the hunt being just you know maybe they spot something or you know they uh, they sort of they sort of whisper some little thing that you didn't notice or whatever because you got another set of eyes out there does that does that happen a, a fair amount? It has, yeah, yeah. There's two two of the guys I can think of right off the bat that have unbelievable eyes with their naked eyes. And, and I may be different than a lot of people. I always tell them, bring your binocs, especially if you're doing some glassing and stuff. Two sets of eyes are always better than one. And a couple of them are really good spotters of game. So that's just what I have them do. And that's great. The other couple of times, especially when I'm on a solo hunt, a couple of them have helped pack game out. And man, it's saving nice. you a, a trip here and there. And that that is huge. And you don't have to you know, threaten them with breaking their leg. If they don't do it, they just figure that's part of the hunt and what they're going to do. And they've got a backpack. And, and so, uh, that has been hugely helpful as well. That's yeah. awesome. That is super awesome. I know, uh, MC Ryan over here and, uh, old Nate on some of the pod ventures have come in handy. Oh, big time. Especially on that cruising for coos one. Yeah. They pointed out a, a deer or two, for which sure. out there, I mean, in Arizona, yes, more sets of eyes are better. Yes, yes. All all the eyes. All, all the, the eyes. eyes. Here's a weird question. And maybe there isn't something, but is there I was gonna say, like, what's the what's the weirdest thing or the most interesting thing that you've been out filming and captured? Is there something that stands out that was just like bizarre? Sometimes you just see weird things happen in the woods. Like UFO. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like uh when we were uh at the frog pond yesterday and my daughter goes, Oh, they're swimming together and I'm like, Yeah, they're they're definitely swimming together. <laughs> I haven't captured anything like that or really neat. The weirdest, <laughs> the weirdest thing though, story. is we were, we were bear hunting in Western Colorado one time and we'd worked halfway down. We'd spotted bears the day before sitting way up high, but the bears that we saw were just out of range and thick stuff. So we figured if we got down halfway on the ridge, we'd have a better shot if it happened the next day. So we were down there and we heard some guys cow calling because it was during the elk season in the fall above us and there were some elk around and just kind of figured that they were elk hunters, you know, sharing the woods with whatever hunting was going on at the time. Anyway, I heard them up there and all of a sudden two bears came out and were below us and I was passing on both of them. I think they were just two cubs that had been kicked out. So two year olds and they weren't all that big. And so we're watching them and Lance, one of my main videographers was filming the cinnamon and all of a sudden, boom, over the top and this shot goes, you know, over our heads. It wasn't really close because it was a fairly steep angle, but shot the bear. Oh my gosh. And, uh, and Lance filmed the whole thing, scared Whoa. the living crap out of me. I mean, I was not expecting that and uh, heard another shot and hit it. And so we heard them going down through the oak brush next to us to go retrieve it. And I'm like, Lance, well, our hunt's over. So let's get out of here. So that was weird enough, but then to make, things weirder the next day we went in there figured okay there's probably a gut pile that might be a good spot to sit and we'd been seeing bears so we went and sat there and i said well after we sat a little bit let's just go down and check out the gut pile we went down there and found the whole bear oh my gosh that's horrible yeah so then you're like do you tag it even though 
it's, you know, you didn't shoot it and, and you're seeing this whole thing. Why didn't those guys, when they were coming down to find it, we found it, they should have easily been able to took GPS coordinates and everything. And long story short, I saw the guy hunting that same spot that next evening and confronted him. And, Whoa. uh, nice. Said, why didn't you go get your bear? He says, we didn't find him. I'm like, you want to know where he is? And I showed him a picture of the bear and he's like, where is it? And I said, here's the exact coordinates. I sent it to him. And, uh, he said he was going to go retrieve it. I can't imagine gutting it out after a day and a half in the, you know, early September heat and everything. But I called the, uh, operation game thief a couple of days later to Colorado to make sure. And he did take out what he needed to take out and checked it in. But, Oh my gosh. A day and a half or so. That was, that was about the weirdest encounter and experience I'd ever had. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Huh. They happen to be filming that too. And just, oh, I check know. out the bear and then boom. Yeah. Yeah, that had to be like, I'd say startling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. I don't even know what to say. I don't either. What do you love most about making outdoor TV? Like, what's what's the number one? Number one's the uh, making the TV, having the history and the memories forever is the most important thing. Yeah. And uh, my dad passed away just over a month ago, and that's when I went back to to uh, to Kansas. I owe so much of who I am to him and my hunting passion, conservation ethic, but I'd always said, and he's been on probably seven or eight episodes that I've got those forever for me to enjoy for my kids. And eventually my grandkids to know who their great grandfather was. And it really came to fruition this November on a deer hunt. He, he came down on that deer hunt and he had, we hadn't shared a big game camp in a couple of years. He'd had a few health problems and I knew that hunt was special when we had the hunt and shortly after we left, but I didn't know how special it was going to be because that was, that was the last time I saw him healthy and uh, the last hunt we're ever going to be on. So I didn't mean it to turn on a, on a not dark, but a, a sad note, but regardless of whatever happens with pure hunting and how long it goes, I will always have any of those memories to last a lifetime. And that's probably the most important special thing I've got. No, man. I mean, that's, you know, number one, super sorry to hear that. I mean, that's, that's, that's not easy for anybody, anytime, you know, and, and, uh, like you said, I mean, I think if you grew up with, uh, you know, in a hunting family and, and, uh, you know, your dad was that person for, you know, bringing you into that world, that's just, it's just really big stuff and always forever, forever grateful for, for those things, you know, so, mm-hmm. and like I said, you got those memories, which is, that's, that's the big one right yeah. there. But yeah, I, I think I think about that when um you know, I think obviously we we're not producing a hunting TV show, but we've done some pod ventures. We've gone yeah. hunting, we videotaped them, and it's fun to go back and watch them, you know, and I think about the you know, stalking up on a coos deer, something that I won't be, get to do very much in my life, but I think back on how cool it was and not only can I think back on how cool it was, but oh, here's a video of it happening, you know, and yeah. so it that's kind of neat to be able to show people or or just even watch myself. And that is a really cool aspect of it. And actually, in fact, I know we've even had uh, we've had a couple of listeners I know ask about uh, you know pot doing a podcast or something like that around filming hunts because I think it's something that a lot of people have interest in doing. It you know a ton of people bring out their phone camera or their video camera of some sort and try and film a hunt just because you have that like you said documented forever there you can look back on it and um, it's a cool thing to be able to have on hand. Yeah. From a 30,000 foot level, not specifically about making hunting TV, but just being in the outdoor industry, it's just, a, I think everything diverts to the 90-10 rule, 80-20 rule. I'd say in the outdoors, it's 90-10, maybe 95-5, but there are the vast majority of really good people that we're all sharing the same passion and enjoyment of loving the outdoors that, like I said, I, I think uh, just really blessed to have this opportunity because some of the people I've met that I never would have met without having pure hunting and going to some of these trade shows and the opportunities that have come about as a result of it have been, have just been phenomenal. Yeah. I think that's, you know, when you look back, when you get on a path like that, you look how everything is interconnected and and meeting this person or you meet that person. You're like, man, I never, or you might be on, on a mountain somewhere where you've hiked up to the top and you run into some dude up there and and all and now you stay in touch you know and just like the people you never would have met otherwise it's it's pretty amazing so uh, yeah. yeah i i yeah. agree with you on that and then getting back to the memories i mean i love i love photographs you know and you and you can look back at a photograph but when you have a video when you have like the audio and just um mm-hmm. there's something different there is something different about it for sure yeah yep 
Yep, I like going back and watching uh, Boats and Bills when Eric got hit in the nuts with that tent pole. It's great. <laughs> we it's have a great that, memory. We have that we forever. Some Jim. fun stuff like that. We have that forever. That's Thank goodness. Stuff. Whenever I think about fun hunting memories, I always think <laughs> back on that. That's great. Real mature. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> well, awesome, Willie, man. Appreciate the time. You know, I think it's awesome to, you know, just chat with you about all this stuff. And I think it's cool for, you know, listeners to get to know you a little bit better. And and uh, my guess is a lot of them have caught the show. If they haven't caught the show, uh, where, where can they check it out? Well, purehunting.com website. I've got uh, all of seasons one through seven, and I'm uploading season eight now. Uh, okay. And then when... When we're on the air, which we're a third and fourth quarter show, we're on the Sportsman Channel on Monday night, prime time. So surrounded by a couple of other good shows, uh, kind of a Western hunting block. But that'll start in early July and run through December for season nine. But, you know, Instagram, uh, Pure Hunting Official, uh, you can just check whatever content. I throw little snippets up here and there. Full length episodes, though, purehunting.com. Cool, man. Sweet. Well, yeah. Thanks a ton for joining us. And hey, I appreciate uh, it. And yeah, and everybody out there for listening too. So uh, yeah, hit us up with uh, hit us up with your thoughts too on I don't know videoing your own hunts and whatever other things like that. So uh, and go on and follow Pure Hunting Official. But with that said, I think we've done it. Everybody stay safe and healthy and all that stuff too. You know. Yep. Always. Always. And all hopefully right. we can only get out there and go hunting, and you can get back to making more TV shows and all that good stuff, and going on turkey hunts in due time. <laughs> yes. Love it. So, Love it. Yeah. Well, guys, thanks for everything, what you do. Appreciate the uh, the support. The relationship means a lot. Absolutely. Thank Always you. fun, Willie. Always fun chatting. All right. Thanks, everybody. You know Take All care. Right. You Bye. Too. Bye. All right. That'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hit that subscribe button so you can always stay up to date on the latest happenings over here at the Vortex Nation podcast. Leave us a review or comment down below. We want to hear what you have to say about the show. Maybe what you like, maybe what you didn't like. So that way we can make these podcasts as good as they can be. You can also follow us on Instagram at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'll be posting about each episode released. So that way you can go back, find these things, maybe grab a little nugget of information that you can take with you to the range, out in the field, or uh, maybe to the kitchen if we're talking about some good food. So again, everybody, thanks and happy hunting and shooting. We appreciate it. Have a good one.